Well, did you guys meet someone you didn't know? Was it good? Were they safe? Good. I'll be encouraged. That's a good thing. Well, it's good to see you tonight. I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to be starting a new series tonight. Now, let me kind of tell you a little bit about how we do things a lot of times. What we'll do here is a lot of times we'll take a certain subject and we'll look at it for several weeks from some different ways and stuff like that so that you can kind of get your mind wrapped around that. And so that's what we're doing. Tonight, we're starting a series called At SC, As It Is In Heaven. And so there, there's one point in the Gospels as you're going along where Jesus is approached by the disciples and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us how to do this. And so at that request, what he does is he shares with them something that later on becomes known to us as the Lord's Prayer. And so Jesus is talking about this. And at one part of that, he prays something like this. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when we look at that a lot of times, what we tend to think is that the kingdom is like a place. Like, you know, okay, God, your kingdom come down here. You know, that's what we want. You know, and in reality, that's not true. In reality, the kingdom of God is his reign. It is whenever and wherever his will is being done. So the kingdom of God is taking place at parts of SC tonight and at parts it's not. It's taking place in certain parts of the world tonight and in certain parts it's not. The kingdom of God is whenever and wherever what God wants happening is happening. It's where what he desires is carried out, what he, where his agenda is moving forward. And so the picture you get in the Gospels as Jesus unfolds the kingdom is that it's both present and future. It's one of those things that's already but not yet. Now, what that really means for us is this. We can enter into life in the kingdom and begin to experience what that's like right now. It's not like something that you accept it now and then you've got to just wait. And then one of these days you get to experience the kingdom. No, you can begin to experience God's rule and God's reign in your heart right now. And so one of the things Jesus wants to make sure of is that we clearly understand. So when he directs them to pray, he says, thy kingdom. Rather than pray for it, to take over at all points in personal, social, political order, wherever it's now excluded. In other words, at SC, as it is in heaven. So that's really what we're going to be looking at for the next uh, several weeks. And Jesus spent about three years, 24-7, with some followers around him. Now, a lot of times we think about the 12, and the 12 were following Jesus. But if you look on in the scripture, what you find is there were many, many people that were following Jesus. And what you find is for that group, like 24 hours a day, he was teaching and he was modeling what life in the kingdom was like. He wanted them to understand this is the life you can begin to now experience. And so the early disciples, what they did was they, they began to look at that. And one of the things they first noticed is, wait a minute, how he goes about life and how we go about life is very different. I mean, it's just very different. And what they figured out early on is that we don't figure out sometimes is we've got to learn a totally different way of life. Because we've been used to thinking about life this way, and now we've got to begin to think about it the way he thinks about it. Now, does that mean that you need to adopt a first century lifestyle? No, not at all. Okay, so in case you were wondering, should I buy sandals and like a robe or something? No, no, not at all. So 
you know, be encouraged. If Jesus were in this culture today, you know, he would function exceptionally well. In fact, you would probably look at him, you would say, now he is like the coolest guy. I mean, you know, everybody likes him. He just kind of blends in with everything. And so when you begin to follow what he has, when you begin to follow the patterns of life of Jesus, what you find is, you know, those are as applicable today as they were in the very first century. So that's what we're going to look at. Because if you learn to live like Jesus, see, the thing with him, if we learn to live in the way he lived, it caused him to live a life like nobody else. And it caused him to have a fellowship with God that was something we just long for many, many times. Learning to do that. So if we're going to experience at SC as it is in heaven, then, you know, we need to know, like, some things from the very start. Some, we want to get some, uh, some ideas concretely in our lives. So I wanted to do this tonight by asking you a couple of questions I want you to think about. Now, I don't want you to answer them out loud because some of you are, you know, you're going to jump and say this and then is not going to be talking and then you're going to feel really embarrassed. So I don't want you to do that. So I'm telling you up front, don't answer out loud. Okay. But I want you to think about the answer to these questions. First question is this, what do you think is the very first thought that God has very first thought in God's mind when he thinks about you? What do you think is the first thought? Now, let me, let me clarify this. I, I probably should add the word in there, really. Because I know for some of you, you know, you have the head thing and then you have the heart thing. You know, you're like, okay, yeah, I know what the answer to that is, you know. Because I learned that over here in like Sunday school or I learned this over here somewhere. So I think I know what the answer to that is. But what I want to know is when you are thinking about relating to God, what is the thought you have inside about this is really how I feel like his first thought towards me is. What is the first thought? Because you see, the way that you answer that and the way you think about that is going to largely determine how you relate to God. And not only that, but it will also go a long ways in determining how you answer the second question, which is this. What does God want most from you? When you think about the thing that just makes God's heart beat, you know, he wakes up every morning, he's just like, oh, 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 and he's just excited, you know. I mean, what is why? I guess he doesn't wake up. He's awake all the time, isn't he? He doesn't wake up. But, you know, if he gets up in the morning after he's been up all night, and he's there, and he's excited, what is it that he's excited about? What is it that he wants from you? Now, I will tell you this. If you see God, if you answer the first question with his thought about you, and you think, you know, really, I think what I would probably think is frustrated. He's probably frustrated with me. He probably thinks, you did it again. Now, you said you weren't going to do that. You did what, 400 more times? Yeah, this week. Uh, and, you know, you said you weren't. And uh, you're like, oh. So he's probably frustrated. Or he, he's probably just disappointed. He's probably just like, hmm. There's that kid. Yeah, yeah. Or he's probably just really angry. He's probably up there just saying, eh, I'll tell you, if they ever get close enough. You know, I mean, boy, he's just angry. Now, you know what? If you have that kind of view of that's what God's thinking about me to do, you either tend to avoid him, which many people do, or you try to look, how can I appease him? How can I do something that he'll be good with? How can I do something to where... He'll look at it, and then he'll be like, okay, I'm okay with you now. And so a lot of times when we do that, we, we kind of run to things like obedience, and we'll say, oh, man, I'm just going, 
I'm just going to find out whatever it is God wants me to do, and I'm just going to do it, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to obey Him. But oftentimes, not from any heart that should be, but we do it from just a heart of you know fear of God or guilt or shame or whatever. We, but it's not from a heart that wants to please God. But secondly, if your answer to that first thought is, you know what? When God thinks of me, when he thinks and turns his thoughts towards me, the very first thought that comes to his mind is, I am deeply loved by him. Then you have a very different response, a totally different response. When, when that's your thought, your natural response then is, and your natural answer to the second question is, what God wants most from you is you. See, God is crazy about you. God wants you. You sit around, a lot of times people think, well, God wants my obedience, or God wants my money, or God wants this, or God, no, no. You know what God wants? God wants you. Now, too often what we do when we approach God, we approach God in this attitude of kind of like, okay, God, um, I need an, you, you have an activity for me to do, I'm sure, so you have something, so, and we, we tend to approach God kind of like we, um, we approach our boss. If you've ever tried that, you know, we, we kind of have this idea like, okay, just give me the drill, I'll do it, what do you want me to do, you know, uh, like you go into, many of you, you go into, you, like your teacher, or, you know, some of you work jobs here on campus, and you don't go in every day thinking, you know what, I think they're thinking about me. When I walk through the door, they're thinking, I have a deep love for you. <laughs> no, you're not thinking that. You think, you walk through the door and you're thinking, I walk in, they go, okay, here's the stuff. And I go, okay, yeah. And you go get it done. And you really don't think about them and they really don't think about you. And many of us, that's exactly how we approach a relationship with God. Okay, just give me the stuff you want me to do. But see, here's the thing you find. God doesn't just want your compliance. He wants your heart. He's not just interested in you doing through some drill and just trying to please him like that. He is looking for something beyond obedience. He wants something very different than just obedience. So Mark, one of the gospel writers, tells us a story in Mark chapter 10. And I want us to take a little bit of time and look at this because this really kind of unwraps the very thing we're talking about here in Mark chapter 10 beginning in verse 17 now Jesus is talking to some people here and Mark says this about he says as he Jesus was sitting out on a journey a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked good teacher what shall I do to inherit eternal life now if you kind of get the picture in your mind Jesus has all these people with him and he's been here and he's been teaching and he's been healing some people he's been doing some different things and all of a sudden he gets ready, and he's getting ready to head out, and all this crowd's kind of with him, and they're getting ready to move, and this one guy runs up, and he jumps in front of him, and he kneels down for him, and he's like, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He kind of has this, you know, okay, you're in a hurry, I'm in a hurry, you got things to do, I got things to do, all I need, give me the drill, what do I need to do? Hurry up. But Jesus kind of slows things down, and in the next verses, Jesus says this, it says, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. 
He lays these things out before the guy, and the guy's looking at it like, oh, my gosh. Good. And then he looks back at Jesus, and he said, Teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. I mean, I'm sure the guy's in his mind, he's thinking, you know, bingo. I am doing this stuff. I've got the drill. I've been doing the drill. God has to be pleased. And then Jesus says this to him. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. See, if you look at that couple of verses right there, one of the very first things you notice is, what was Jesus' disposition towards him? He loved him. See, Jesus looked at him and felt love for him. And then he tells him, you know what? He makes him one of the greatest offers anyone's ever made. He says, I'll tell you what you do. Go sell that stuff you've got. Just go get rid of that. Give it to the poor. Help take care of them. You come follow me. I will teach you how to live life. And you will experience life like you've never had it. And then the strangest thing happens. Because you would look at that and you would think, now wait a minute. Who would pass that up? Well, verse 22 tells us. It says that these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Saddened? Why? Because it seemed like too much. It seemed like what Jesus was wanting him. I mean, Jesus is offering him this great opportunity. He says, you can come to learn to live life from me, the one who created life in the first place. You can come and do this. And, you know, all the guy wanted, though, was, no, no, I don't want that. Just give me an activity that I can do so I can check it off, and then I can get on with the life that I had planned for myself. I didn't really want to do your life. What I really wanted to do was the life I had planned. So just give me an activity, and I'll check that off. And what you find is Jesus goes, no, no. That, that, that's not what it's all about. See, what God wants most from you is you. He wants you to prefer his reign in your life over your own reign. And honestly, if you stop and think about it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, think about it for a minute. Think of all the bad decisions that you've ever made in your life or all the ones that you've ever been associated with. What was the common denominator in all those decisions? You. I mean, if you stopped and thought about it, you know, you think, oh, yeah. I kind of participated in every one of those, didn't I? Yes, you did. So to have someone else who knows the end from the beginning and knows the best way to do things and knows the wisest way to do things and knows everything that's going to happen, everything that could happen, everything that won't happen but could happen, to have someone like that directing your life, would that be smarter? Or do you think, no, considering my track record, I think I'll go with me. You know, I mean, honestly, that's just, it's a brilliant thing you know, that Jesus is offering here. You know, far, if you begin to let him rule and reign in your life, you have a far better chance of making better decisions. You have a far better chance of living a life you will really enjoy and one that will really be good. But you've got to figure that out. Now, how many, anybody grow up in the Midwest? we have any Midwest people? Oh, several Midwest people here. Ah, well, let me tell you something. If you ever drive, in the Midwest, and then you come and drive in California, you find there are some differences. <laughs> yes. I know the immediate thing you're thinking is traffic. 
Yes, that's true. I mean, we have more cars registered than there are people in the Midwest. So, I mean, I understand that. But, you know, if you, there's more than that. See, when you first are out here and you go to get on a freeway, what does the sign say as you pull onto the freeway? Do you know? No one's paid attention to that, right? They're like, you look at a sign before you get on the freeway? Yeah, I mean, I know. But, you know, if you did, what does it say? Merge. Yeah. That's exactly what it says. Yeah, somebody over there. Help, I'm homeless. Not that sign. No. There is that sign, too. Uh, I pulled off the other day, and the guy had a sign, and he said, Help, please. Venmo me at... And, and I thought, Venmo you? Are you kidding? Homeless people have Venmo now. I thought, this is incredible. But that's a whole other story. Um, yeah, the sign says merge. That's what it says. Now, that's really good. But see, you don't want to take that idea and go back to the Midwest. Because when you're in the Midwest and you pull onto a freeway, what does it say? Yield. That's right. And what you'll find is if you try to merge, oh, 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 no. In fact, you are like a little grease spot there on the highway. That just doesn't work because you will get run right over. You have to learn, you know, you yield. You're not merging. Totally different concept. In Christianity, what I find today is that most of the people in Christianity today live a brand of Christianity that obviously they're fairly frustrated with, but it's a brand that is totally self-centered. It's a brand that says this, well, you know, I didn't like it that God did that, and I think he should have done this. Or, you know, I really need God to do this, and I need him to do it in a hurry. Or, you know... I don't really like that kind of music. I really like this kind of music. And what you see the common denominator again over and over is I, 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 I. We, we tend to have this thing where we think our relationship with Jesus is really all just about us. I mean, really, like we are the, not only the central figure, we are the singular figure in the relationship. And yet what you find is Christianity is really not so much about us. It is about us. But what you find is Christianity is really as much about him, if not more about him, than it is about us. And what you also find is it's him who has invited us into his story, not us inviting him into ours. He's invited us into his. We tend to really think we're committed When we think like, you know what? I agree. I intend to merge with God. I'm going to let him have part of the road and I'm going to take, I'm going to merge. That's what I'm going to do. And yet what you find is that what God really wants is not us to merge. He wants us to yield. He wants us to surrender our lives to him. He wants us. Now, the surrender he's talking about there, it's something that begins in your heart. And then it works its way out through your behavior. It's a surrender that is motivated not by guilt, not by, you know, oh gosh, duty. It's really motivated out of love. Not our love, his love. This is what John says in 1 John 1, or 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. 
Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, God wants a relationship with each and every one of us based on love. His love. That's what he says right there. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. You know what God wanted most today? He wanted to be a part of what you were doing. Now, for some of you think, I just went to class. God wanted to go to class. Some of you are thinking, I, I went to Target. Can you take God to Target? God's cool with Target. You know, he likes Target. Now, I mean, you probably would approach Target a little differently. I mean, I'm not thinking, if you think about God in the way you've thought about God sometimes, you probably don't want to take him to Target. Because you're not going to want to, okay, with your head down, bumping into stuff, going, oh, God, um, that's this aisle. Uh, God, here's the groceries over here. I, mean, God's got, I know what's over here, okay? I mean, you know, you don't have to go in like that. But just, he wants to go along with you. He really wants you. That's, that's what he wants. You know, let me tell you a story that will kind of help maybe put this in perspective. And, and we'll, we'll kind of end with this. But I've got a friend who... Um, he goes around and he kind of speaks all over the place. And this guy was down. He was in a place called Fort Davis, Texas, which is in the Republic. I know. Yeah, there's some Texans here. But, uh, you know, it was this place kind of, you know, I mean, it's part of Texas. It's, it's a wide mass of land there. So he was over there in, in Texas. And he's at this little place called Fort Davis. And so he's coming in to speak at this church. And he's speaking on Friday night. And he's speaking on Saturday and Sunday. And so he comes in. And the Friday night he rolls into town. And he, he's staying with his family, and so he goes into this family's home, and he kind of puts his stuff in his room, and he's kind of getting squared away and stuff, and he's eating. And at dinner, he meets their child, who is like six, one of their children, their oldest child, who's like six. And this kid is majorly into baseball. He loves baseball. And so he's telling him all about, it. I've got trophies, which obviously kids today, everybody gets a trophy, okay? But I mean, he says, you know, I've got trophies. And he goes, you got trophies? Yeah. And I, and, and I got this really cool uniform, and I've got these baseball cards, and I've got this. And he's telling him all about this stuff, and he's like, hmm, that's, that's cool. And he goes, you want to see it all? And he goes, well, actually, i got to go, and I've, I've got to speak here. But you know what? We'll, we'll, do that. we'll do that another time. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever told a six-year-old you're going to do something another time? You know what they hear with that? The next time we see each other, we'll be doing this. I know. I, I didn't realize that as much. And, I mean, I'd kind of forgotten it over time until we had grandchildren. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you tell them, like, hey, I'll tell you what. Tomorrow we can get a donut. The next morning you'll get a call. Are you up? Yes. Are you ready for the donut? You're, are you kidding? Are you kidding? It's 5 o'clock. Where'd you get the phone? I mean, you know, I mean, you're kind of going, come on. You know, why? Because kids do not forget about this. And so, you know, he goes on to church, you know, he comes home, kid's already in bed, he's six years old, you know, I mean, kid's already in bed. He gets up the next morning, and he's kind of coming down the stairs, and boom, 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 down the stairs, and he turns around, and he's getting ready to walk out the door to head to the church, and he kind of glances over, and he looks, and there sitting on the couch, dressed in his full baseball uniform, with his hat on, and all of his trophies, and cards, and glove, spread out on the couch, is this kid, and he's looking, he's like, yeah. Yeah. And Luke kind of goes, 
um, wow, um, that's a lot of stuff. You know, and, yeah, I want to see my cards. And he's kind of coming in. He's like, look at it. And he's like, well, you know, I, I, yeah, you know, I would. But see, I'm, I'm late already, and I got to get up here, and I got to get to the church. But you know what? I will later. And he's like, okay. And so he leaves, and he gets up there. He said, you know, I went out, and I got in the car, and he said, and God began to speak to me. And I think the thing that God said to him is the exact same thing he would want to say to you tonight. Because he said as he got out and he got into the car, God said, you know, I'm waiting for you every morning. I got stuff to show you. I got stuff that's going to make you learn to love life and live life totally differently. I've got all kinds of stuff. But you know what? You're too busy for me, just like you're too busy for him. See, the only one that can give your life to him is you. The only one that's ever going to be able to give God the very thing that makes his heart beat is you. What you also find is this. If we're ever going to experience at SC as it is in heaven, that starts with us. It starts with each one of us deciding, hey, you know what, God? I choose you. And you know what, God? I really want to yield my life. Not just merge. I want to yield my life to you. And I want you to be the one that's ruling and reigning in my life so that I can begin to experience your kingdom right here, right now. So let me pray for us, and we'll invite the band back up. Father, thanks that uh, we don't have to wait. Boy, what a, what a desperate situation that would be if we had to wait for so long to experience life with you. But, Father, we can enter into that right now as we yield our lives to you and we begin to get into your word and learn from you and listen to you and allow you to show us how to live life. We can experience life in the kingdom right now. Father, help us to be wise enough. Help us to think clearly enough, Father, that it would really make sense for us to give you the one thing that you can't and choose not to take by your power. Us. We have to make that choice. So, Father, help us to choose you. We pray it in Jesus' name.